Today on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your week in sports cars, what do we have? We have a lot. We have your questions. Oh, we have your questions. They are many. They are awesome. And as usual, in what might be, dear Graham Goodwin, my co-pilot on this show, one of the wilder Decembers in recent memory for sports car news, something where it seems like every day there's some sort of, holy crap, <laughs> look at that. I didn't expect that. Uh, or, hey, why did that team send out a fairly meaningful press release at 5 p.m. Eastern on a Friday when no one cares? I have no idea, but hey, we'll hold it till Monday. We got a lot to cover, my friend. We don't have a ton of time, so we're going to barrel through as much as we can on our lovely show. Brought to you by Cooper Tires. Coming back next year. What? Four years in a well, row? Hey. Yeah, I think four years. Double uh, Yes. Awesome pals at Cooper Tires. Justice Brothers as well. TorontoMotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets USA. So, Graham, I might suggest that rather than jumping straight into our structured categories of IMSA, yep. WEC, ELMS, Asian Le Mans Series, ACO, then General, then FUN, Got a couple items here that came in after the bell, after our pal, DailySportsCar.com's Ryan Kish put together our Q&A list. Should we open with some of those topics first? And I think, two, yeah, I think so. Then we can get into what is clearly the massive story of the week. Uh, everybody uh, listens to this show knows what that is. But let's go through a couple of the first ones. One I'm particularly keen to ask you about which was the news that broke yesterday evening of the departure from corvette racing of doug fian uh, a man who's been part of sports car racing with one team and frankly the most successful team over that period of time um in class and overall victories um for my entire time as a professional writer um what say you mp you and I are in a similar space. I've known Doug for a long time and do consider him a, a quality friend. Had a private conversation yesterday and it's going to remain private. We'll just offer. I know that we've had a couple of folks who asked in one or more on Facebook and Twitter who seem to be very insistent on wanting answers on the, the manner of Doug's uh, departure from Corvette racing. I'll just say this, and it's not meant to be a dodge. It's just meant to be a, this is how I feel. It's right. The man contributed decades of his life to Corvette racing. I am confident in saying that when many people think of Corvette racing, they think of him first or second at least, but by all means, one of the top two or three folks that are most heavily associated with the brand, his being a brand ambassador and being a program manager, being vastly influential in shaping, creating what it was, helping it to become what it was. I look at the man's service and contribution and say, you know what? If a website somewhere wrote whatever as a headline and another website somewhere else wrote something different as a headline. Why don't we err on the side of respect? Why don't we err on the side of this man's contributions to our sport of which he is not done contributing by the way. Um, this man deserves, I would say the utmost respect and humanity applied at all times, whether he left 
He was asked to leave, uh, whatever it might be. I would just say that I hold him in a place of high regard. I believe most fans do as well. So maybe instead of getting worried about clickbait nonsense, maybe we just appreciate a person who has given tons to the sport long before Corvette racing, by the way, long before Corvette racing and who is not done. So last thing to add on this, and it's maybe wider symptomatic or emblematic, something with an attic at the end in (laughs) the last, what, 15 months, Graham, Yen Magnuson, uh, 15, however many years, seemingly forever years, Corvette racing standard, no longer a part of the program. Dan Banks, again, one of the top yep. two or three people, probably next to Ollie Gavin. Uh, Feehan, Banks, Gavin, right? Um, Hell of a boy band. Hell of a boy band. Uh, more K-pop than anything, but yes. I think so, um, yeah. We have Dan Banks, who has moved on, is no longer part of the program. Oliver Gavin there for 50 years, uh, seemingly no longer part of the program. Now Doug Feehan is no longer part of the program. You see something where some of the bedrock people, some of the truly the most tenured beyond Gary Pratt and Jim Miller, by the way, congratulations to them on selling the business for $115 million. Um, Some of the biggest names and most long-held names in the span of just a little over a year are no longer part of Corvette racing. So there's maybe a bigger picture to look at here of wholesale changes uh, going forward. And obviously they won the championship this past season in IMSA. So not as if that they have suffered any loss in talent or capability, but it's been a, uh, a season of change for them. Doug being the latest. Well, um, rather happier news than the uh, the news of uh, Doug's departure from Corvette Racing. And by the way, if you're listening, Doug, all the very best what comes next uh, from all of us, I'm sure, listening here. Um, came this morning, UK time. We're recording this on Thursday evening. This morning, UK time, we finally got the provisional, remember that word, provisional entry list for the 2021 Asia Le Mans series. We had that exclusive interview with... Um, Cyril Tejfarland on the Weekend Sports Cars last week, where he said there was going to be a record entry, 30 plus. He wasn't wrong, 36 cars. And I've got a feeling that's not the end of it yet, you know. Um, that is one hell of an entry in these current circumstances. Uh, there's some big names on there that I certainly was not expecting to see this morning. I've, I've not been party to that full entry list. I've clearly been working with a lot of uh, teams and talking to them about what their plans were. But the likes of Volkan Hurst Motorsport coming back from clinching for BMW the IGTC title. They'll be there with two BMWs. 19 GT3 cars smashes the record in that class. 36 absolutely nails out the park, uh, the overall uh, entry. Congratulations to Surreal, to Colin Ong, to Jane Rowe and the team at the Asian Le Mans series. I can tell you this, dear listeners, I know we've got a couple of questions in general. There is significant positive news still to come about that 2021 season i cannot wait i genuinely cannot wait so uh, watch this space there is still yet more to come that i know will put smiles on sports car fans faces uh, come february you mentioned cyril tesh wallen 
uh, the head of the Asian Le Mans series. I thought we agreed on the last Sorry, episode. We were just going to refer to him going forward as French Jesus. Yes, so, French Jesus. Uh, I, I, I think I'm hearing something, Graham. Do you hear that? It's in the distance. It sounds, there's some sound of a race car that has penetrated the podcast. Let's, let's fall back and, and see what this is for a moment. Graham, do you have any idea what that was that we just heard? I do. Um, that, Weekend Sportscast listeners, you are the very first people, aside from people who were there, to hear what a 2021 LMH Toyota Supercar, uh, sorry, Supercar, Hypercar, actually sounds like. That was the car uh, that's currently out there um, in uh, Portimao in Portugal. Uh, with the spy photo that we ran on Daily Sports Car a couple of days ago. That is the sound of the car. We'll run that clip. It's a very short video clip, more useful for sound than vision, I should tell you. We'll run that later on, but we thought this would be a good moment for an absolute world exclusive um, for you loyal listeners of the uh, the Weekend Sports Cars to be the first to hear what that new breed of Toyota is going to sound like. And it is... Very different, I think, um, than its predecessor, TSO50. Lots of comments been made about the looks being very LMP1. Feeling we're going to see something very different when we see it in more detail. But uh, that's our little thank you from Marshall and I for the the loyalty and the, the bonhomie that you've shown through what's been a very difficult year, sticking with this, sticking with the week in sports cars, and looking forward now to, we all hope, a better year to come. Bonami, I believe, drummer for Led Zeppelin. So that's pretty cool. Uh, also want to know, I mean, I guess we can now share this. I mean, the profits have been so big with the show. You've been yep. able to buy a jet, fly down to Portimao, capture this, and come back home it in was, record time. It was it was me. If only I'd bothered to take a quality recorder or camera, uh, we'd be in much better shape. But, uh, yes, it was me all along. And, um, yes, it's it's great news to see we've got a new breed of car on track. Uh, there'll be more to do with Le Mans Hypercar in the coming days and weeks with some other uh, material we're collecting at the moment for uh, both Daily Sports Car and for Racer.com. Uh, but the big news this week, and this is why we're throwing the structure out uh, of the two major categories, MP. There's only one major story in terms of the cars that are going to be on track. That is following hard on the heels of the news uh, about uh, Audi coming back to uh, top class sports car racing. Porsche are only going to have done it, again, have done it themselves too. All of a sudden... Not just the world of sports car racing, but the world of motorsports has gone squirrel-like. What the hell is going on over there? And everybody all of a sudden is getting interested. And quite right, too. Squirrel! So, yeah, I don't know if that's what we call this. You're the person who officially chooses which categories we go through. I think we're just going to call this LMDH and others. So. so we're kind of sort of combining IMSA and WEC as a Yeah. So, 
Where shall we start, my friend? Which question shall we crack on with to begin? Well, there's a couple here that I think set the scene neatly. Rob Chalmers about the Porsche LMDH and uh, Matt Hawkey Hawkins. Rob says, are you excited about this? Uh, Matt Hawkey Hawkins says, with Porsche, Audi, Persian, Toyota now committed to LMH and LMDH, will this entice GM and Ford? Um, and others, Rob Ball says, uh, with Audi and Porsche now announcing the LMDH program, do you expect either uh, any other manufacturers to announce programs and enter the fray? Me, hashtag me personally thinks the two uh, announcements are going to act like a downhill snowball that's picking up size and momentum. You want a first crack at this one, MP? Yeah, I mean, just in general, and, and we'll, we'll do a little bit of back and forth on it. Totally agree. Super happy, amazing, and awesome. So <laughs> when you have... Audi and Porsche committing to a new sports car formula. That's all you need. There's no one else you could ask for that would have more validation, bring more uh, importance to things. Now, granted, Ferrari is a big name. There are a lot of other big names that we might add in. But if we're just talking history, Porsche forever, Audi in the last 20 years or so, these are the two biggest names. And I can say there's a little bit of pride for sure here in good old North America. And I know from those that have heard from in and around IMSA, there's a huge amount of pride that these two brands chose IMSA's prototype formula. Granted, we know that LMDH is allowed and legal to run in WEC and IMSA. We know that both Audi and Porsche plan on running factory endeavors in both WEC and IMSA. But this is ultimately IMSA's vision for a prototype future. Call it DPI 2.0. I still hope they, I would rather call it that than LMDH. But this is the endorsement, Graham, that they've been needing. Talking about, do we think more will commit? Not saying it's going to happen. But I've heard that one other manufacturer could be holding a press conference at the Rolex 24 at Daytona. I've spoken with that manufacturer. They said it's a possibility. Might be a little too soon, but nonetheless, it's on their radar to possibly announce there. I can't necessarily say about Ford and GM yet. GM, I think we're going to hear them go forward. Uh, so I'm going to earmark that as a yes. Ford, I, I would love it. I think we'd all... Of course, <laughs> if you have Ford and GM trying to beat each other up in any class like we had in GTLM, that just serves the world. That's amazing. I don't know if Ford's going to do it. I We all hope they would, but look, if we end up with Acura, Audi, Porsche, uh, General Motors, whether it's continuing under the Cadillac name or another, and who knows, one more at least, if we were to have five, four to five manufacturers to kick this uh, off. By the way, that's for IMSA, okay? Just for that's, IMSA. Okay. And and that, we, in, addition, in addition to that, MP, you then get um, the European, some of those European cars, um, whether they're customer cars, whether there's other makes that would commit to WEC, coming along for the very biggest races, and vice versa with the Le Mans 24 Hours, with the addition of the Le Mans hypercars in the same class. And you know what? In 50 years' time, if it's as good as it could be, it could even eclipse the the profile 
uh, of where we got to with Group C. It could. It could be that big in terms of the, the level of competition. If they get BOP right, it could just be one of the very biggest things in world motorsport for quite some time. Sorry, I cut you off, so no. get back to your... We're, we're trading the mic back and forth, brother. The proverbial game changer, if I want to call back former IMSA and LMS president, Scott Atherton, who only knew what we knew, he knew, I don't know, I forget how that phrase went, um, where I think we could have a genuine game changer here in this maybe feeds Rob Chalmers question. Are you excited about this? Yes. For the reason of a upfront willingness stated in interviews with me and you and others, customer cars We're open yeah, to it. 100%. We're interested in it. Uh, on the Audi and Porsche side, I would suggest that sa sales of customer cars uh, technical support packages for the season. Those cost money. Uh, these were integral parts of selling uh, the necessary board members on doing it. So now that we've touched on this a little bit recently on the show, Graham, and that being, hey, COVID budgets, finances, all the things that we know of that have been distressed might be hard to get new pure factory deals signed off on uh, as we move into the, the weeks, months, and years ahead, might be more a case of, yeah, if you're going to get the board at whatever auto manufacturer to sign off, eh, they're probably going to want to hear you're not just spending a ton of money on a two-car team for yourself to uh, you know try and be glory-bound and whatnot and just purely spend money. Uh, tell us how you might be able to bring some back or offset costs a little bit. Just think about this. That's the thing that excites me the most, Graham. You and I have heard, and we haven't put names on the teams yet, but I know of two teams in particular that have said, hi, <laughs> we're not factory. We're not going to be factory, but we sure want some of those LMDHs that would be coming out of your factory. Tell yep. us when, tell us what they cost. We'd love to place an order. And I would guess, since you and I became aware of a couple of those teams, that even more have probably reached out. So this is the thing that makes me happiest of all, assuming it all goes according to plan, and that is what's the problem we have right now, Graham, for example, in I know LMP1 is a thing of the past, but what is the thing, the problem that we had the last season or two? What's the problem we've had this past season in DPI? You've got a... You've got two factory Mazdas. No, we're not making them available to anyone else. You've got two factory Acuras. No, we're not making them available to anyone else. We had a couple of Cadillacs, and those were semi-works. Uh, one on the JDC side, full privateer. But the Action Express, Wayne Taylor side, there's links and connections to GM there. But while those cars were for sale, it's really locked down with the other manufacturers. Provided this becomes more of the norm with LMDH, all of a sudden we go from like, oh, that's a cute seven-car grid, or five, or three, or whatever the small number is, to, ooh, wow, double-digit yep. plus could be the norm. That's, that's where I have the most excitement. If customers are truly allowed to come in and play and buy and be a part of this by multiple manufacturers, to your point about Group C, 
all of a sudden we get numbers that speak to health and growth and vitality. That, to yep. me, this is the linchpin. And sustainability. And that's the other point, isn't it? Because the other thing that's been name-checked through every conversation I've had, both in the on-the-record press briefings, the background conversations that we've, we've both had with people involved in both Porsche and Audi and beyond, the other thing that comes back time and time and time again is sensible entry budgets, but sustainable numbers beyond that because you've got this performance envelope and they all expect a collaborative um, uh, workable BOP. And that's important because that's one of the other things that certainly came through with a conversation with, uh, Pasc- uh, with, um, uh, with Porsche and with Audi was a genuine wish to work hand in glove to make BOP work because the sustainability of both that process and keeping the budgets uh, within sensible boundaries is what's going to keep this alive for multiple, multiple seasons. It's a five-year homologation. That is a long commitment for any factory. If you're going to ask for that commitment, they're going to want their commitment. It's not going to be an escalation of cost. And that's where LMP1H went wrong for the factories at a time when they couldn't afford it, at a time, horrible word, uh, approaching, when the optics were unfortunate for them, the costs were escalating with the R&D and the development costs of those hybrid uh, powertrains. I genuinely believe, no matter what your thoughts are about spec, no matter what your thoughts are about BOP, no matter what your thoughts are about the ultimate purity or not of the formula, that if we've got for a regular IMSA race or a regular WC race, 12, 14, 15 cars in a top class, you know, all with a chance of actually coming out with the results, I think a lot of that is going to be forgotten. And I think it's going to bring a lot of new attention, media attention, public attention uh, to sports car racing. And that, for me, is the absolute key going forward. You've got to be in a market position in a fast-changing world. And if we've got the reputation in sports car racing for being maybe a little innovative in terms of the way that you present it, maybe a little bit innovative uh, in the in the fringes of what might be coming next. But for right now, kick-ass racing, week in, week out, Uh, with two, three, four classes on track, um, all with their place uh, in a TV or a streaming package, all with a fan base behind them. And more to the point, names on the front of those cars and on the side of those cars and looks to some of those cars that people will recognize, either as the car they drive or the car they aspire to, then you have got something that we can be talking about in two, three, four, five years' time as well. Two other quick points to to add before we move on um i think in terms of announcements and the pacing and timing for what i've heard a little bit of uh, some that have a deep interest in joining in i've heard a little bit of eh, the optics or something that we might have to mind a wee bit um knowing that again covid's still a thing Budgets have been hit. All the things again. We know. I've just I've heard that. Hey, yeah. While it might be right for some to have come out and said, "Yeah, we're in. We're going to do this thing," and everyone knows it's going to cost money. There might be a sense by some brands that are interested that hey, yeah, this is still far off. This is twenty twenty three, so yeah. we've got we time wait. and we can put things in place 
behind the scenes. We can get things in motion and we, you know, we can be working towards all of this, but in terms of telling the world, maybe we wait a little while. So it doesn't feel like everyone's, you know, fighting through this uh, pandemic and have a little bit of a, a freer time to announce that we're going to do something bigger and more ambitious. Other thing to mention quickly, Graham, I'm not saying that this is what is going to happen, but it wasn't so long ago. It happened in my lifetime and your lifetime. I'm talking uh, 80s, latter stages of the 80s for sure, and what, through 94, 3, 4, whatever. Uh, 24 Hours of Le Mans, all prototypes, no GTs. Uh, And obviously you've got tons of GT fans who would never want to see that happen. But we have had in our lifetime prototypes so popular and there were group c if we're talking the classes group c there was an imsa gtp class there was c2 you know what over here we would have called uh gtp lights there were multiple classes within that 40 50 however many car grid but all prototypes (laughs) and uh, yeah of course there were some works efforts those are amazing tend to be the ones that won tend to be the ones that we remember the most, whether it was Silcut TWR entries or Dunlop uh, liveried, uh, shell liveried, I'm sorry, uh, Porsche 962s, et cetera, et cetera. But this was possible, made possible to have all full 100% prototype grids at Le Mans in the 80s and early 90s because of customer cars and mass production of these vehicles. So not saying we're going back to it, but that's what I hold in my mind as the ultimate possibility of, wow, what if we I, even I, got yeah. halfway there? That'd be amazing. I think this is the thing. I, 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 there will be questions, I'm sure, and it's, it's worth covering them here. I'll have a quick look down and see where we're getting into. About GTE, about GTLM, for me, as a factory formula, there's little doubt in my mind that's doomed. It's doomed worldwide simply because people are moving towards other things it's not because it's not been a great formula it has but as a factory formula i think it's time is just about done however i think there still is a place for gt um i know there's lots that would like to see the aco take on gt3 i don't think they will i certainly don't think they will for the for the immediately foreseeable future and certainly not until the lmdh and le mans hypercar joint formula is well established because i don't think they'll want factories to be given another opportunity other than the top class to come at a lower uh, commitment level there will still be significant numbers of pro-am uh, GTEs available for the next two, three, four years. Let's not forget we had 20 plus cars in the combined GTE field this uh, this last uh, Le Mans 24 hours, and only four of those, if I'm right, were full fact. Sorry, six of those were full factory efforts. There's no shortage. Look back to the time when you're talking about MP, and even when we did have significant fields of GT cars, very often. That was the more amateur, the less works end of the grid. And there's nothing wrong with that. There is no rule of law that says you have to have a factory GT formula. It just so happens that in recent decades, there have been some fantastic racing, some fantastic, uh, fantastic efforts with that. It may be we're entering a different era. Uh, and we might just have to get used to that fact. There is no way that I can see that, for instance, Porsche are going to support LMDH 
and a GTE program. And I simply don't see why they would be interested in supporting as a full factory effort a GT3 program at Le Mans either if they've got two, three, four factory cars and God knows how many uh, customers lining up on the grid as well. We are coming to the end of one era, but I'm truly excited about the the next era to come and i agree with you it's gonna be interesting to see just how many of these prototypes come out the woodwork your point by the way about 2023 being a long way away you're right everybody now is quite impatient about who's next who's next it's two years away and people will want their own space to make their own plans to make their own announcements i think we've got an exciting news market for the next couple of years ahead which will certainly involve lmdh and i think it will involve more coming in lmh as well i think the uh, the release we saw from peugeot uh, revealing what their their um, powertrain package was all about and how that performance is going to be delivered i think was a head turner for some about just how sophisticated those lmh powertrains are going to be and that is one of the reasons why We've got some of those factory names that everybody's got on their shortlist, not just looking at LMDH, but trying to decide whether or not they can persuade the board level to commit to the next step and go Le Mans hypercar instead. So we've got a couple more questions here on general LMDH, but since we are freewheeling a little bit this episode, I Ah. would like to jump into something. That yep. pays tribute to one of our fine regular contributors, Nick Dovniak. And yes. I, as I've said, I love it when folks resubmit and also get yep. really barky about it as well. Nick takes the cake here. So <laughs> in a normal week, we would have opened with this, Nick. Uh, but yeah, hey, it hasn't been a normal week. So we're just going to make a little diversion to go over to a question you sent in many times. Then we're going to go back to LMDH because, hey, it's the who the hell gives a fart uh, episode. So our pal Nick says, so you'll answer the other guy's question on Super GT, but not mine after some four or five times asking. Uh, But who's counting? Not me. I've lost count of the number of times I've asked. So here goes. What's the deal with GT300? seems to balance three different formulas, MC, JA300, and FIA, GT3. And it even has a set of cars with a hybrid powertrain. Does this example of GT convergence work, or is everyone as grumpy as they are in IMSA DPI about BOP? Am I missing something, or is it just the lack of oxygen from holding my breath for so long and waiting on a response? Nick, I'm just telling you, brother, this is gold. This, for Uh, everyone who hasn't gotten their question answered after sending it in multiple times, use Nick's submission here as the template because, oh, seething, and I love it. Well, Nick, thank you for sending it in. And if you want to send it back in again next week, yep. my answer no, so, no, sorry. LMDH. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> so actually, here's the thing. It's a true. It's a truly relevant question to the current uh, point we're making here. So there's two things to say. One is the relevance is, as he quite rightly says, three completely different platforms in one class with one BOP applied to them. Uh, so I did say to Nick uh, last week on the show that I would ask our resident Super GT expert, RJ O'Connell, 
um, to to uh, to answer this one because it's his bailiwick, not mine. And he has done that. And what he says is this: he says, RJ says he can in all can say in all confidence, balance of performance between the three subcategories of that class has been effective. It's always fascinating to see how those different cars make their lap times. Fuji says, for instance, where the GT3 cars are much faster along the 1.5 kilometer front stretch, but where the JAF GTs and the mother chassis cars can take a corner like a 100R almost flat out with massive downforce. Then a car like the hybrid Prius GT can punch its way out the slow corners with a massive surge of acceleration. Let's remember, he says, that this is a series that is built around ensuring competitive balance amongst teams and the specially formulated GT300 BOP is made by the GT, uh, GTA together with SRO and their GT3 uh, uh, BOP works alongside that. It's also one of the last remaining series, of course, that has an open market for tyre suppliers. That adds another variable, as does the number of pit strategies that are available. It's not to say it's perfect. In particular, the JAF GT mother chassis have been hard to balance out in recent years. And Takeshi Tsuchiya, uh, sorry, the Deputy Chief Principal of Tsuchiya uh, Engineering, has cited this as part of the reason why he's decided to retire his team's championship-winning Toyota MC86 for a Porsche 911 GT3R this past season. RJ says he's sure some other GT3 teams aren't happy with their current BOP settings, but rarely do they kick up a fuss about it on social media. For instance, at least on the surface, there's not a deep-seated culture of BOP gamesmanship like seems to observe everywhere else. Uh, In short, he says, it works well. And that's what I think we've got to hope for, MP, in this new era that's coming, with fundamentally different underpinnings between the Le Mans hypercars and the LMDH cars uh, that are coming from the other corner. Uh, we've already got that opportunity to compare in this coming year in the WEC because they're already going to have to balance a four-wheel drive hybridized Toyota um, LMH, a grandfathered LMP1 car, which you have to believe would have far more sophisticated uh, aerodynamic uh, uh, capabilities and the two privateer cars that, as far as we're aware, have got rear drive only uh, all uh, full-time uh, ice uh, internal combustion engine power. So we're going to, I think, get a bit of a gateway on this one. It's going to be a big test already before we get into the mass ranks of LMDH. And for that matter, the other part to the balance of performance uh, picture, which is the political power of the factories. Uh, let's not forget that one because that has been a confounding factor in the past. It's a great question. Hope that uh, suits you. Uh, Nick for the answer from RJ Uh, keep them coming like that because it does open up doesn't it avenues in all sorts of other areas where are we going to next MP I was going to say Mass Ranks one of my favorite reggaeton artists so uh, well let's see and thank you again Nick seriously sorry that I suck in particular Uh, Clement Rosin says McLaren commented multiple times that they would be interested in returning to endurance racing in the big races LMDH slash hypercar seems like a good opportunity for them to do that for 23 while not spending as much as other programs uh, like F1. My question is, do you see McLaren competing, committing to LMDH or hypercar? And if so, when? Uh, the answer is, I've spoken to Zach Brown about this relatively recently, certainly this earlier this year. Um, non-committal about final committal, but the interest is absolutely firmly there. Where do I see them? I can't see them anywhere other than LMDH if they're going to do it. Same here. Straight answer. Um, They do have 
GT3 and road-based engines which are appropriate for that platform. Uh, they have also got um, experience with their extreme end, their um, road cars with hybrid powertrains. I would like to think that they can pull together something. I can tell you again, there are multiple existing teams that are keen to attract that program. So there is will within the marketplace to work alongside. Uh, we've got all sorts of financial restructuring happening. Uh, you know, Shay McLaren, as we have for that matter, Shay Aston Martin, uh, as the manufacturers uh, navigate their way through choppy waters at the moment through 2020. Um, have I got news I can give you? No. Have I got certainty? No. Is there a will? There most certainly is. Might they be one of the names that were they to commit comes rather closer to 2023? I would have suggested that that might well be the case. Uh, so from the McLaren side of things, no news. Um, there's a will. There are certainly, as far as I'm aware, been at least some internal studies to look at the commercial case behind it. And that by the way, uh, were McLaren to come forward, is the classic example of an organisation already with a customer motorsports uh, you know, uh, entity on site uh, that would be looking to do so. Uh, well, maybe either purely with, it might be kind of semi-factory and customer cars, it might be factory and customer cars, but you know, this is where the business case side of it comes in. If you've got income coming from customers that helps you to bolster uh, to keep the pressure of a factory or semi-factory program out of the out of the overall company books, that can only be a good thing, and that was something that simply wasn't available for the most part in the LMP1 era. You know, there's another quick little thing that might be worth mentioning. In my conversations with McLaren, heard the same things. Interest between the two categories or two formulas would fall on LMDH, not hypercar only heard that interest expressed in WAC terms. Not saying that there would be nothing in IMSA if they were to choose to opt in, just saying the only thing I've heard, if we if they were to do it, the only thing I've heard so far is doing it in WAC. So a little, uh, little nugget there. Uh, Brandon Kratzer, uh, as we might start to wind down a little bit here um, on our prototypey stuff, what are the chances of Hyundai having an LMDH, if and when they announce a program, um, they will go to the top of my list the next time I need a new ride. Also mm-hmm. says, long-time listener, love the show, second-time questioner. Thanks for answering my last question. Happy holidays. You are not only welcome, Brandon, but see, you uh, sent in your first question, got it answered. Second yep. question, you're about to get it answered. Suck it, Nick Dovniak in GT3. I'm just kidding. Nothing but love, Nick. Come on. You know me. I'm going to say this just right over the plate. I got to swing. I'm sorry. Send it in again. Yeah, send it in again. You know, I'm going to edit that out. Uh, we're going to edit the answer out that uh, RJ O'Connell offered for Nick just to piss him off. Uh, Brandon, I've recently inquired about this. I've heard conflicting stories. I've heard that Hyundai, which we thought was almost going to be a guaranteed thing to come and do LMDH. I've heard from multiple sources, haven't put it in print yet, but I don't mind mentioning it here. have heard that they might favor reinvestment, ongoing investment, 
bigger presence in WRC, World Rally Championship, compared to a prototype effort. Now, is that a fact? I don't know. I've tried to ask some folks who might know, and they said they've heard similar things about the WRC angle, but have not heard anything that says Hyundai is not going to do LMDH. Continuing to try and get an answer, if they're at least still open, leaning in that direction, who knows? Uh, but just trying to get a feel for that. But I've had it shift a wee bit from don't know when it's going to be announced, but yeah, I really do think it will to hmm, could Hyundai's biggest presence be dirt, tarmac, flying around through trees and whatnot uh, with a little short, boxy, punchy WRC vehicle. So I uh, hope to have more info here in the coming, I don't know when, soon, but um chasing this one for sure my man uh of the questions that follow brandon's our good man good win which ones should we grab knowing that we have a little over a half hour left in this episode i'm gonna do a quick quick, uh, some quick picks here uh status coco asks about was the mention of ferrari just rumors as for more that you know can't say ferrari are definitely evaluating options as for trying to second guess ferrari pointless i mean my view with ferrari is you can go and ask anybody from ferrari the question you can go and ask another guy from ferrari the question you can ask them the same question uh, on two separate days you might get completely different answers they'll announce something if they're good and ready uh, do i think they are seriously evaluating it i am 100 percent do and i think if they do come it's more likely to be with a hypercar than it is with an LM, uh, lmdh simply because of their uh, their views on using spec parts for things like hybrid and for that matter for chassis. That's as much as I think I can say on Ferrari. Uh, Daniel Summerskill, another first time questioner there, Daniel. Um, will the HLMON series uh, be better than the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix? Of course it will. Main reason why, putting aside that, I didn't watch the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, but I gather it was not stellar. Um, main reason is traffic. Simple as that. Three different races, and for that matter, we've got a couple of subclasses within um, LMP classes too. Uh, the track, I think, will be interesting for mixed class racing. We've seen mixed class G- uh, GT racing before with a few LMP3 cars thrown in, and it raced pretty well. So it's going to be interesting to see how both the short circuit that we'll be using for the first two races and the full Grand Prix circuit will go for that four race, four times four hour race series uh, in. Uh, February and that remember includes daytime nighttime under the floodlights and racing into darkness I am looking forward to it enormously Um, just take again I'll say this if you've been excited by what you've seen already get excited about what's still to come yeah Uh, uh, Porsche factory drivers that's that's a, a theme here and that's by the way the other big news story of the week since the last edition of the week in sports cars was the Uh, multiple announcements by Porsche at their virtual night of champions. uh, And that came before, of course, the LMDH uh, announcements. But it did say, uh, it did give us their uh, MP, what for some was pretty shocking news about some names that are not going to be named as full factory Porsche drivers for the coming season. We've got questions here from John Richter, from John Schultz. Um, uh, Johnny Trott says, uh, why does Porsche replace GTE Pro Specialist and World Champion Michael Christensen with Neil Yanni? Uh, he'll be joining the WEC squad, a driver apart from Sebring, his last race GT machinery and GFI GT1. Um, 
John Richter says, any thoughts about factory driver status announcements? How long is Jimmy Bruni's contract? No idea, by the way. Um, has he lived up to expectations? We could call more than one commentator referring to him as the best GT driver in the world. I think there was a period of time, hi Rocky, uh, period of time when he most certainly was. Uh, what say you about the whole thing to do with Porsche? For me, MP, this is not as straightforward as that pre- press release made it look. The Emmy for excellence in clarity with press releases does not go to Porsche. Uh, I have spent decent amount of time on the phone with, I won't say who, but I will say multiple factory drivers who happen to be employed by uh, a certain German manufacturer referenced by our readers. Um, the moment the release came out, I rang one of them right away to say, uh, could you explain to me some things because I'm reading the release and I don't understand some things as it pertains to you. And I have spoken with other members of the team. Um, I've had a really interesting conversation with another member uh, who basically confirms our suspicions that truthiness and accuracy was intentionally subverted uh, in terms of who is still a factory driver whose kind of works customer loaned out who is no longer employed who no longer has a contract but was listed as being part of things like just a wow that is a confusing soup of, of non-linearity. So not at a point where I really want to put any specifics on who is exactly and who isn't. I don't know in every single instance, but I can tell you that, yes, even some of the people whose names were in the press release were really confused. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm just being honest. We're like, yeah, uh, huh, it said I was this, but I don't think I am. Um, but maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe I should ask. Um, weird. Just weird. And I get it. Porsche is a giant, you know, it's part of a giant company. Its reputation is, is peerless in so many ways, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes you don't want to come out and say the thing directly that might be unpopular. But, yeah, I would say... There's also been a general approach more coming out of the, the straight homeland factory than elsewhere that I don't know if they really give a crap sometimes, Graham. Hey, we're going to say whatever it is that we want or not say the thing. That would really offer clarity and a clear picture. Eh, whatever. If you want to waste your, your time chasing it down, trying to get to the truth, go for it. Probably not going to uh, be an active participant in helping that to happen. Um, sometimes you get that. They're not the only manufacturer that has, does it, or can do it. We get some of those. Hell, there was, there was a release that came out last week, Graham. I knew it was coming, was waiting for it, thinking that, okay, this thing will help myself and other sports car reporters to put together a functional story. Hey, an announcement from a team that they're doing a thing with a car, some drivers in a series. Uh, nothing. I mean, other than 
I think it was a, a 59 second video that just more or less parroted what was in the headline and one or two, you know, opening sentences. Hi, we're a team. We've got a car. We're doing a thing with them drivers in a series. And you go, all right. And that's your release. Okay. Did anybody want to maybe talk about it? Did anyone want to speak a word about it? Hi, I'm the person who owns it or runs it. Hey, I'm driving. Like, just I'm just sharing this because you go, you spent time, holy cow, to yep. capture B-roll and footage and editing and graphics and all kinds of crap. But you can't be bothered to give people the basic thing they would need to write an actual story that has basic quotes. Uh, just key information to help make, uh, again, a functioning story. Now, we're going to give you a, a sub one minute video that doesn't tell you anything more than what's in the email. Yeah. If you want to get quotes from people, by the way, we're not really giving you, telling you who to talk to about those things, but uh, go figure it out yourself. So uh, I just find this kind of stuff funny. So it happens. Big manufacturer to smallest teams. Eh, life goes on. These aren't the things we're going to remember. Yep, it's uh, it's a frustration at times. Um, some are good at the this PR game, some not so much. Uh, let's move along a little. Let's have a quick look what else we can find in this list. Um, Daniel Summerskill again. Apologies, but it's a it's a question that probably needs to be just covered off. Do you know the reasoning, says Daniel, behind changing the rules regarding race numbers in the WEC to one to nine 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 to change colours and design of numbers? Hashtag me personally. The current current system of one to fifty for prototypes, fifty one to ninety nine for GT with fixed designs worked well. Can't see the need to change. I can only offer these two points, and there is nothing in the regulations that backs up what I've been told by three separate sources, which is I think it's commercial. Uh, and the thing that's missing through regulations is I think if you elect uh, to grab your own number in your own style, you're going to be paying for it and not a small amount either. Uh, so I believe this might be – a commercial move. And I think you can expect to see a bit of this in motorsport as we get through 2020. This is about clawing back some of the money lost or the money, um, you know, lost uh, to the commercial pressures that have impacted on race organizers and championship organizers through 2020. But I believe this is a commercial thing. Doesn't mean to say that you have to choose to do this. Remember, you can choose to have a number allocated to you. But if you've got PR, marketing, personal investment in having a particular number, uh, then I'm guessing that the, the reckoning behind this, should it prove to be true, and I think it is, is that uh, perhaps that's something you should be prepared to invest in. Uh, so that, I think, is the answer to that one, Daniel. Anything you can find, MP? Yeah, uh, I think I can rattle through a couple quickly. Our pal Oscar C. Love, anyone see or heard anything from the Ford Motor Company about anything? Well, uh, the answer, Oscar, is yes. And I don't know if it is up. I'm typing in right now, www.vintagemotorsport.com. Let me see if it's there. It better be because I forwarded it and said, hey, y'all should post this. And that would be a fail. Uh, okay. Well, if you were to go to vintagemotorsport.com here, hopefully uh, sometime soon you will find some newly unearthed, and I would say, having seen them, rather amazing 
original Ford GT40 Le Mans documents that the Ford, the Henry Ford Museum uncovered. And it's original test notes from the mule chassis that they had to, I think, haven't been seen forever, exploded diagrams of the cockpit and the gearbox. And the, like, these are things that they truly just announced, like, hey, we got a lot of stuff. We didn't know we had this stuff. Hey, Rocky, um, you, you need to look at it. And it's pretty darn cool. So, yeah, uh, if you like old stuff, I would say that will hopefully be available on vintagemotorsport.com, owned by Racer Magazine here very soon. Uh, what else can I grab here? Ricky Zagata says, I was chatting with a friend of mine about the new LMDH and hypercar regulations. We were wondering why teams like Toyota and Glickenhaus are ready for 2021 and everyone else is pushing off until 2023. Super simple answer, Ricky. Hypercar debuts in 2021. LMDH debuts in 2023. Uh, yep. Where else are we going? I, get, I, will add, I will add one proviso there, which is... Husky. In we w- forgot Lamar Husky. Yes, we did. In WC only in 2023, LMDH and hypercar or Le Mans hypercar, will be one class dubbed hypercar. It'll be one class. You will not see IMSA adopting that as the class name, but the class will be called hypercar in the WEC and at the Le Mans 24 hours for both sorts of car, but it's a, it's perfectly understandable why you'd be confused. There we go. Jeff Easterling asks, do we think Audi will ever catch Porsche for overall Le Mans victories? No. Um, I mean, that would be pretty amazing if it were to happen, but I can't imagine. Uh, let's close here. Uh, well, actually Steve Barotko, Steve, I don't know if I've seen you send in a question before. Um, curious about how does the approval of both Audi and Porsche LMDH programs relate to each other? Do both divisions have to get approval from the board individually, et cetera, et cetera. I don't have the full answers on this, but I, I have heard enough to make me think that there were very significant individual plans crafted to be presented, but there was also whether it came from the board or the Audi and Porsche sides individually, I can't say, but somewhere in the process of getting approval, there was a, you're not going to do these fully independently, meaning Audi, you're going to go pick a chassis supplier, Porsche, you're going to find a different one. Uh, we're going to try and find areas to combine, to combinate. We're going to find air, any areas we can to combine and save money. So that's why, as I uh, wrote a week ago or however long and continue to mention that I have heard from multiple sources that Canada's Multimatic has been selected as the single chassis supplier for both. As I've also put in print, this is what I've heard. Don't, don't get too upset if they change their mind, but I've heard that they will indeed be using two different internal combustion engine packages. So I've heard that Audi will be using their two liter four cylinder turbocharged DTM motor uh, for their hot rod. And I've heard that Porsche will be developing its road car twin turbo V8 Cayenne V8. Uh, So have heard those two routes being followed on the motor side. But yeah, um, it sounds like everything, because everything we've read so far, Graham, uh, in terms of official quotes, 
individual interviews you and I have done, and even the off-the-record mm-hmm. stuff, everything we've heard coming out of Audi and Porsche have been, we're doing LMDH because it is the least expensive way to achieve our goals and effectively achieve our goals. Not We're going the cheap route, and eh, it's going to kind of suck, but hey, we're happy, we like it, this is the route we want to go, and it really meets our, our fiscal responsibility requirements. Um, okay. Elliot Bon Jovi got one here. Uh, says, first of all, Marshall, your mother sews socks that smell. Thanks. Um, do we have any idea on what team may run the Acura LMDH program? Uh, will this be Meyer Shank Racing or Wayne Taylor Racing or a wildcard team? Um, I don't know, Elliot, because we don't have a formal program committed to yet. Um, the two teams you mentioned that will be running Acura's DPIs next year have yet to do one race as a factory accurate team or works affiliated team. So uh, the answer would be no. And I would say for sure, stay tuned on this. Don't tune in frequently because it's going to be a little ways away, but I can guarantee you that there will be many, many, many teams wanting to be part of that solution for Acura. Where else do we go, Graham, in the not a lot of time we have left? I think we're going to go into a bit of general and fun to finish this one off. There's one here I'm particularly keen to go with. It's from Shane McHale, and he says, could we see an appetite amongst organizers and manufacturers for sprint-style races in top-level sports cars with lower-running costs of hypercar and LMDH? Would this be worth exploring as an addition to current endurance races? I think that's a very, very interesting question. Um, It's been done before, DRM in Germany. Uh, We know that, by the way, in the flailing gibbon-like state that uh, DTM got themselves to to find a solution to their uh, then imminent demise, they looked at GTE regulations, they definitely looked at LMP2 regulations. I suspect they're heading towards EV rather than LMDH, but it might be an interesting diversion. If LMDH market exploded, could that support a healthy um, single driver national sprint championship not aware that anything is in the offing but i think it's an interesting question depending on where things go over the next couple of years shane john richter by the way also asks how did the honda nsx team mess up so badly after dominating the carl army uh, nine hours of the first eight hours to gift away the win um, in monsoon like conditions which were run under yellow they made a tactical error is what it came down to you right they ran at the front for the first eight hours they came in did full service stop whilst others didn't uh, took fuel uh, took uh, sorry took um, fuel only I think I'm right now misremembering we then got the monsoon conditions, which meant there was next to no green flag running for the remainder of the race, which means everybody fuel saved to the end, and they effectively had stopped longer, dropped from first to fourth, and that was the end. It was one of those things. You've got to take a gamble. You've got to take a view. Uh, presumably, they thought that that might pay off for them. They were unlucky enough to then get bottled up behind uh, an Audi that was way, way, way off even the full-course yellow pace, and uh, when the other cars had to stop, they were too far behind uh, to make up the, the time. So a real shame for the Honda Racing crew, who I think deserved that win. Uh, what, what can you find in amongst our kind of page and a half of fun and general? Uh, Dan the Madman says, hi, I'm a Dan. Ooh. That's not Daniel Summersgill. Ha! There we go. Excellent. Could we it's persuade? 
the very series to have a fan poll where the most boring livery in each class gets penalized <laughs> by having rotten fruit and vegetables thrown at the team executives during the race. Uh, best wishes to y'all's two families. I I love that idea. That's a good idea. It is, but how do you pull this off, though, Dan? Do you ask fans to bring with them to find rotten fruit to bring? Uh, do they buy fruit and vegetables and just let it rot? And then, bring, like, that's going to be a little funky. Well, do we have a it, big, like a pallet, Graham, like a big giant place where folks go and grab I, and th- i think this i think this is a, there's an ideal opportunity at the rolex 24 to do exactly this there have actually been a couple of significant grocer as in jumbo supermarkets because that's what uh, racing team netherland is backed by uh or in the case of uh, a a uh, prominent team name from the past tirier tirier is a major european green grocery um uh, chain but uh, i'm sure if you know you put that one in front of fritz van erd and just said look bring across a couple of pallets of fruit and vegetables don't bother refrigerating them um in the in the hold of the airliner uh that's bringing them over the freighter that's bringing them over just leave them in the corner and we'll do this thing at the end of the race i think that would get some takers but um you know what we we have come through an era and international racing, we don't actually anymore have something which we used to call, I don't know if you had it at your side, BWP. Do you know what BWP was? Uh, Poor... Well, there was a rap group by the name of BWP, no, no. and it was B no, boring, with problems. Boring, no, it was Boring White Porsche. Um, uh, so Boring White Porsche is not really a thing anymore. So people do tend to at least make some kind of efforts. But I will, yeah, I will agree that uh, there are some liveries that seem to be long-lived as well and i'd love to see a bit more energy behind that Uh, it's a challenge here if you're listening porsche motorsport i applaud i stand and applaud your efforts to honor your heritage with some of the fantastic liveries that we've seen on the porsche 911 rsrs in the last few years but please for a moment consider this what are the liveries from this century from your contemporary cars that you're going to want to celebrate in 30, 40 years' time? Because I've not seen very many. I think it's about time you got the crayons back out and let's get some something a little more iconic rather than, you know, a you know graphic designer's wet dream. Um, liveries that only really make sense when you see all three cars viewed from the top. That might make for, you know, a good kind of mouse mat when there was such a thing but i'm sorry that does absolutely nothing for me i want to see those factory teams coming out and being bold um uh with something other and i know as i'm saying these words i know there are going to be people listening around the world that be punching the air going yes that can we have something different than red black gray and white please Please, for the love of God, um, in these top class prototypes, because uh, I think that's what the fans would like to see. Um, so, yeah. Um, was that was that it was a, a, bit of a soapbox, soapbox moment brought to it us by a, a sponsor a we haven't we haven't honored in a while? <laughs> I think we should roll in uh, a little honoring here of uh, Bushu's Hammer Emporium. Hammers for you. Hammers for me, hammers for everyone. Christoph Bushu's Hammer Emporium. 
before we uh, before we close off the rest of the show, uh, let's see where do we go? Where do we go? Uh, Kevin Frederico, do you think Dyson Racing will ever return to a top level prototype for GT and IMSA? I know that there is a ongoing desire there, uh, but I can't tell you whether that will actually happen or not. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll answer this one. It's a quick one from Kevin Perez, Frederico, GG. With Brexit situation, will you think of relocating somewhere in the EU to avoid hassle, um, such as Portugal? Uh, regardless, the hashtag shit show, it's still better for you. Stay due to the UK's biggest type of motorsports in Europe. It's my home. I'm proud of my, my home and my country. It's where my family are. It's where my friends are, such as they are. Sorry, friends. Um, but uh, it is a shit show. It's a disgrace, to be honest with you. It's, uh, I, I'm not often ashamed of the country I live in, but I am over this because I'm afraid my countrymen have been lied to. Um, and we're about to find out what the cost is that is going to be probably for the rest of our lifetime. Uh, it's disgusting, it's disgraceful, and it is already having an impact on the sport, not only that I love, but that I make my living through. And that is going to impact on me and on thousands of other people involved in the sport, as well as the fans who will not be watching international sports car racing in 2021, uh, at least in part because the organisers cannot be confident of getting the trucks back out to go to the race the next weekend. Thanks for that, Boris. It's a soapboxy close to the episode. Look at that. Uh, let's see. William Matson asking for the second time. Have either of you gentlemen ever accidentally caught a team cheating while working in the paddock? If you did, what did you do? And what was the team doing? Uh, I mean, I was, I remember being part of a team that was cheating and we were <laughs> caught. Uh, so there's that. Um, Struggling to recall catching another team cheat. I, I don't. I don't recall catching anybody cheating. I can recall believing I'd seen um, a driver change that was rather extended, and it appeared to me, but I could never prove it, that uh, that driver went to the back of the garage, took off his helmet and hands device, put on another helmet and hands device, and got back in the car. Wow. Uh, I mean, the one. The one I can share here, this would have been the Indy Racing League in 1997. The Menards team, this was a future NASCAR champion and star, Tony Stewart was driving for them. They were kicking everyone's butt. They were building their own Oldsmobile V8 engines. And it just sounded like they were turning more RPMs than anyone else. And yet there was, I think it was a 10,500 RPM rev limit for all engines. So uniform, nobody can go beyond 10.5. And just listening, right? Just the ears said, nah, there's not something something above board here. They're, they're, they're sneaking some extra revs for sure. And they're on pole everywhere and winning and whatever. And... We, with our little crappy team, decided, well, let's see. Maybe this is just an area where people are cheating and the series isn't really paying attention. So let's try and do the same thing. So plugging into the, I believe it was Bosch, Oldsmobile ECU, you could just very simply set the rev limit to whatever number you wanted. I don't remember if we did 10,700 gram 
or uh, 10750 But this was for qualifying, I think, at the Charlotte IRL race in 97, something like that. And finished the run, car, driver and car come into the top of pit lane, get stopped in the little impound area. And to our surprise, the Indy Racing League officials plugged in right away. (laughs) Right away. And it was like, oh, well, apparently they are checking. And so they flagged that we had cheated and we admit it. I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't go, Oh no, that that's not a seven. That's a, that's the five, that's a five character. Your eyes is, are happen to see <laughs> again. It's there. It's obvious, whatever explain to them the reason why, well, Hey, we're convinced that another, that the team that's kicking everyone's ass is indeed circumventing the RPMs rule and making more power. And therefore that's one of the reasons they're beating everybody. They said, okay, great, but yeah, that's really not the way to try and get your point across. And they were going to penalize us. They did pull our data and did find that while we had set the RPM higher, I don't believe we made an accompanying gear change to make use of those extra RPMs. Mm -hmm. They found that we did not exceed 10,500 in the qualifying run. So while we would have been able to, no matter what the rev limit was plugged into the ECU might have might have had, we did not indeed break the rules there. Learned years later, and these are the things, Graham and William, these are the things that as you work for racing teams, you find out years later when quite often you're at a different team and somebody from a team like a Menards uh, years later is now at the same team. And you go, hey, by the way, back in 97, 98, whatever, uh, did you guys ever dot, dot, dot? So as I've been told, uh, they did something pretty fun, which was double ECU. So they had apparently wired and hidden a second ECU uh, in a access panel behind the driver's seat, which is not something that you would open during a normal technical inspection and the call it public ECU that IRL would plug into and download data and, or look at the specifications, everything said everything that it should. That ECU also was pretty much for show because it wasn't controlling the engine. (laughs) And the one that allowed them to go over 10,500 RPMs was indeed uh, on board and well out of sight. So yeah, uh, we cheated, we got caught, and years later found out that, yes, our ears weren't lying to us, William. Uh, I've remembered one, actually, and I'm just going to do it very quickly because it is a sports car one. It was in the early parts of GT3 in the days where Ascari were a player. Uh, we had multiple cars in the British Championship, and one of my daily sports car colleagues, I won't say who, returned to the press room and said there's something very odd about insert name of Ascari car in that I'm standing um, in the same place doing what I'm doing, uh, taking photographs as it turns out. And we have, I think, four, maybe five of those cars on the grid that weekend. And it sounds completely different and they're changing gear in completely different places. Uh, So all the other cars on the grid 
identical, same engine notes, same gear uh, shift patterns. This one particular car, by the way, much, much faster than the others, totally different engine notes and a completely different gear change pattern in what should be, remember, a completely homologated GT3, uh, GT3 um, package. What did we do about it? We wrote about it because I think that's what you do. Completely agree. Uh, are we done, my friend? I think we're done. I think we are. Um, that was a heck of a show, wasn't it? It's been a heck of a week. Um, you want to say a little something before we close about what's coming, MP? I think we've mentioned it before, but it's coming along nicely uh, because the, the clock on the Marshall Prit podcast is ticking towards a bit of a landmark. We have episode 1000, I believe. I think this might be episode 998. Uh, I think Week in IndyCar guest show with Lee Diffie is going to be 999. And then uh, I'm going to try and get episode 1000 cobbled together over the weekend to have that go up hopefully on Monday to open Christmas week, holiday week, whatever you might call it and have that as a feature that folks might love. So it's all storytelling. It's, uh, yeah, I've got 21-ish stories in the bank, and I think by the time I'm done editing, we might have 20 more. So the longest is, and I can answer this because I have the ability to do so, Oh, dang it. My computer crashed, so I lost the uh, the little length function here. Let me pull this up. We're making modifications on the fly. It's live, guys. It's live. Hey, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's live and whatever else. Uh, let's see. The shortest is two minutes and six seconds, and the mm-hmm. longest is, as of right now, is 12 minutes and 54 seconds. So, Ooh. and they cover sports car, F1, IndyCar, uh, all over the place. And <laughs> yes, we have arrests. We have yep. vomit. Uh, yes. We have exceptional alcohol consumption from bodily hair, bodily hair. Oh, there's a bodily hair story. Yes. Uh, let's see how an Italian clothing manufacturer made someone a future IndyCar legend, a bizarre bit of a bizarre tale there. Um, oh man, knocking out, nearly knocking out a legend of sports car racing. Um, I'm just trying to go through here. Uh, someone deciding to not get themselves killed by getting into fisticuffs with the large and imposing Tom Milner. Um, We have drinking from a phallic drink bottle in a Porsche 911 GT1. Um, Oh, oh, we have a man who turned into the true, like not not a creature from the bog, but he only made one appearance there in this, the true Lime Rock wrecking ball. Oh, my goodness. Yes, there's another story from that person about just rage, raging against the machine. Uh, an angry, angry man. Oh, and yeah, Brabham Formula One fan car story. Ooh. Uh, a driver seeking a 10-year contract and um, maybe not being able to get there for the signing of it. As in te- uh, Anyways, there's a lot more to come. 
I hope y'all like it. Uh, it. It has been a lot of fun capturing all of it. And yeah, uh, we're looking at some good times here. Uh, hopefully stuff. episode 1000 and our man Goodwin is on the case as well, trying to capture a couple to uh, throw in I from some uh, malcontents. So why don't you take us home? I will indeed. Uh, thanks so much again for joining us, whether it's by sending the questions, listening in, telling your friends, sharing this on social media. It's all contributing to what's been a, what feels like it's becoming a bit of a growing club of like-minded people just glorying in the idiosyncrasies, the wonderfulness and the pain and pleasure that is international endurance racing. For now, uh, with thanks as always to Cooper Tires and thanks for returning Cooper Tires to the Justice Brothers to TorontoMotorsports.com to Bell Helmets USA. He over there has been Marshall Pruitt. I over here have been Graham Goodwin. This has been the Week in Sports Cars on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. We'll be with you in holiday week. Good night.